Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network France has carried out the first of a planned series of underground nuclear tests At Mururoa Atoll in the South Pacific The French Defence Ministry said the magnitude of the explosion Was approximately the same as the bomb dropped on Hiroshima This year, we have brought you four episodes highlighting the important work of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, a global initiative that has its roots in Melbourne. It was launched at the Victorian Parliament House in 2007 and is now active in close to 100 countries. Today, we are pleased to report on some exciting recent developments. Listen up. Is the international community poised to outlaw the most destructive weapons ever created? In this podcast, we report on the progress made at the May session of a special UN working group on nuclear disarmament in Geneva. There, the vast majority of nations declared a readiness to start work on a treaty prohibiting nuclear weapons. Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia and the Philippines were among those proposing that the first negotiating conference be convened in 2017. While few expect that the nine nuclear-armed nations will embrace this new law, proponents are convinced that it will be a powerful catalyst for change. I'm Tim Wright from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. To guide us through the debates in Geneva, I spoke to Richard Lenane, a former Australian diplomat and UN disarmament official. His current job title? Chief Inflammatory Officer of Wildfire, which is an NGO working for a treaty banning nuclear weapons. We began by addressing a basic question that proved quite contentious at the May session. Is there a legal gap in the existing regime governing nuclear weapons? For most nations, the answer is clear and simple, yes but a few insisted otherwise. The Canadian government put forward a working paper challenging the notion that a legal gap exists. Was that well received? No, I think it was received with some incredulity and ridicule because the Canadian paper made this very arcane, complex legal argument about why there was not, in fact, a legal gap. And it it just didn't add up because if you reduce it just to common sense, you know, other weapons of mass destruction biological weapons and chemical weapons are prohibited and nuclear weapons are not and now you have 126 countries saying of course there's a legal gap we want to prohibit nuclear weapons and to sort of introduce some obscure legal argumentation to say that there's no such gap it's absurd the 126 nations to which richard refers are those that have endorsed the humanitarian pledge a non-binding commitment to work with all relevant stakeholders to fill the legal gap in the existing regime. Austria initiated this pledge in December 2014, and at the working group in May, it read aloud the full list of endorsers. Afghanistan, Algeria, Andorra, Angola, Antigua and Barbuda, Argentina, my own country Austria. All the way through to Vietnam, Yemen, Zambia, Zimbabwe. Canada, though clearly outnumbered, was unswayed. Canada does not agree with arguments made in favour of the existence of a legal gap, and as a result we don't believe there's anything to fill. 
I asked Richard what he thought Canada was hoping to achieve. They're clutching at straws, really, because they can see the way things are going. They can see there's a big international movement now to to push ahead and negotiate a new treaty banning nuclear weapons, and they're just trying everything they can to slow it down and stop it. Canada is a member of NATO, and as such it argues that US nuclear weapons are indispensable for its security, which is why it has sought to prevent the start of negotiations on a ban, and why it argues that no gap exists. Many delegations questioned why there are global bans for other weapons of mass destruction, but not yet one for the very worst weapons of all. This is the Philippines. While we have treaties banning chemical and biological weapons, we do not have one for the deadliest of them all. And so the work on a treaty that will ban and prohibit the possession, use or threat of use, acquisition, development and testing of nuclear weapons is the most ideal and correct action. The Kenyan delegate agreed. The challenge that we are facing today is the fact that there is no instrument or agreement that explicitly outlaws nuclear weapons. And that is how the vast majority of nations see it. Canada came away from this debate looking hopelessly out of step. Its stance not at all reflective of a nation eager to see real progress towards a world free of nuclear weapons. This was a nation swimming frantically against the tide. The debate then shifted to the main part of the working group's mandate, effective legal measures, legal provisions and norms for a nuclear weapon-free world. At the February session, delegations had put forth their initial ideas. The chair had then produced a synthesis paper describing four approaches for moving forward. Three of them were various uh, ideas for changing the status quo and doing something new, so that is a to negotiate a comprehensive nuclear weapons convention or a, a straightforward ban treaty, which is what we want, or some kind of framework convention or treaty. And then the fourth option was what uh, countries like the Netherlands and Australia and Japan and the other weasels want, which is uh, what they call the progressive approach, which has previously been called the step-by-step approach or the building blocks approach, where um, you just have a number of, of measures uh, that you hope that the nuclear weapon states will do, but they don't. More and more nations are gravitating towards the one approach whose success is not contingent upon the goodwill and leadership of nuclear-armed nations, the ban treaty approach. Brazil, for instance, had previously championed a comprehensive nuclear weapons convention or framework which would comprise a time-bound program for eliminating nuclear weapons. But, it noted... If such proposals were viable, we would have been well advanced on the path towards nuclear weapons-free world. But they are not. Almost without exception, the nations that oppose a ban are those that possess nuclear weapons or claim protection from an ally's nuclear weapons. They are advocates of the misleadingly named progressive approach, which consists of a series of partial measures, including entry into force of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, and the negotiation of a fissile material cut-off treaty. I asked Richard... What's wrong with calling for these 
kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with calling for them, and they're both they're both perfectly sensible ideas. Um, but they've been they've been good ideas for, for over 20 years now. Uh, the only problem with them is they they don't happen, um, and they're blocked not by the 126 countries, for example, who want to negotiate a new legal instrument. They're blocked by the, the nuclear weapon states, and in some cases, some of the weasels. Advocates of the so-called progressive approach have been at pains to inform the impatient majority that nuclear disarmament is very complex and will not happen quickly. Australia, a nation which argues that US nuclear weapons make it safer and more prosperous, had this to say. The hard yards need to be taken and there are no quick fixes. And in another statement. Difficult, hard yards, no shortcuts. As Mexico observed, the room was clearly divided in two. There is a group of countries that is trying to protect the status quo and therefore is sticking to old ideas that have been around for more than 20 years. There is another group who's trying to change the status quo and is putting forward new ideas. And there was no doubting which group was the larger. The bulk of the discussion at the May session of the UN Working Group in Geneva was on the elements to be included in a new legal instrument or instruments for nuclear disarmament. Obviously we had the standard ideas like you know, there should be a prohibition of possession of nuclear weapons, of stockpiling, of development, of use and so on. But also some perhaps more creative and innovative ideas like prohibitions on financing, provisions on assistance to victims of nuclear weapons and nuclear testing, provisions on you know, cooperation with nuclear armed states and so on. So it was really the first time that these kinds of things had been discussed in a, in a formal meeting like this. And the other interesting part of the debate was that nobody objected to any of these specific elements. A number of delegations suggested that there was general consensus among participants on the need to prohibit nuclear weapons. The only difference of opinion related to timing. This is Switzerland. Switzerland's long-standing view is that nuclear weapons, like the other weapons of mass destruction, ought to be prohibited. While there seems to be a very widely shared view that an instrument to prohibit nuclear weapons would be needed at some point, views still seem to be diverging with regard to the point in time such an instrument would be appropriate. And Austria concurred. What was obvious to all of us is that we have differences on the timing. A wide majority wants to start negotiations on a legal binding uh, norm to prohibit nuclear weapons as soon as possible. And a minority does not want to start such negotiations soon. Some have even argued only after the elimination of nuclear weapons. It might sound preposterous, but a small handful of nations, including Australia, do argue that nuclear weapons should be prohibited only after they have been eliminated. For other weapons, prohibition has been essential for achieving progress towards disarmament, as Austria explained. Hitherto, disarmament treaties 
have been based on a prohibition and then the practical steps to destroy those arms came later. And we all know that treaties don't start with universality and it can take time. There are very few treaties indeed that can show universal membership. Delegations debated not only the timing of a prohibition, but also its scope. Austria and others made clear that a ban treaty should outlaw not only the use of nuclear weapons, but also their possession. In New Zealand's opinion, the list of prescribed activities in the new instrument should be as broad as possible. The most important lesson to be drawn from our experience with a range of other disarmament regimes would seem to be that the elements or prohibitions covered in a new instrument must be truly comprehensive and leave no gaps. The full range of prohibitions must be covered explicitly and with sufficient detail to stand the test of time. This is The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're tuned in to the latest on the campaign to ban nuclear weapons. Let's get back to it. There was a discussion about nuclear weapons and security in the 21st century. What did that discussion reveal about the motivations of the umbrella states? Well, we had more and more strident claims from these umbrella states, from the, from the weasels, that nuclear weapons were important to them, that they need nuclear weapons for their security. Uh, and this is not something we're really used to hearing from them, because usually uh, the role of the weasels is to act as what they call you know, bridge builders between the, the other non-nuclear weapon states and the, the states with nuclear weapons, like the US and Russia and China, UK and France. But none of those nuclear-armed states were participating in this open-ended working group, so the, the weasels found themselves the ones who had to explain why nuclear weapons were actually needed. And this, I think, was, was very uncomfortable for them. And the fact that there was so much, uh, I guess, movement and momentum and interest from so many other states in, in going ahead with a, with a new treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, the, the voices of the weasels became more and more strident and more uh, sort of blatant in saying, no, no, nuclear weapons are legitimate, we need them, they have an important role in, in providing for our security. Many of the umbrella nations have, however, avoided explicitly linking their anti-ban stance to their reliance on nuclear weapons. Their opposition to a ban, they say, is based on a belief that prohibition simply is not an effective strategy for achieving elimination. But for many it has become increasingly difficult to maintain that pretense. Belgium, for instance, was frank in explaining its position. Even though the circumstances in which any use of nuclear weapons might have to be contemplated are extremely remote, my country cannot at this point in time subscribe to the statement that nuclear weapons should never again be used under any circumstances because this is inconsistent with the concept of deterrence and with NATO policy in general as it stands today as our calls for an immediate ban on the possession or use of nuclear weapons. Throughout the May session, the Umbrella Nations demonstrated, perhaps more starkly than anyone, why the current system for nuclear non-proliferation and disarmament is in desperate need of repair. This was Poland's emphatic endorsement of nuclear weapons, Poland, of course, being a party to the NPT. 
Currently, the nuclear weapons, regardless of our assessment of its humanitarian aspect, play a significant role in preserving stable and predictable security environment, as well as strategic balance, which results in lack of global conflict for almost 70 years. Germany argued that a ban on nuclear weapons would do nothing to enhance global security. We do not see how a ban would, like, would, would likely make a difference as long as the security t- situation is as challenging as today. It would really merely repeat a norm already existing for non-nuclear weapon states today. But is that norm strong enough? Under the NPT, Germany is considered a non-nuclear weapon state, yet it has nuclear weapons stationed at its Bushel Air Base. Evidently, then, the norm could be strengthened, and the ban would do just that. When countries such as Belgium, Germany, Poland and Canada extol the supposed security benefits of nuclear weapons, it raises all sorts of questions. Like, well, if they're important to your security, why aren't they important to the security of other states? Wouldn't other states listening to you defend the, the security benefits of nuclear weapons say, well, well maybe we, we should have nuclear weapons too? So it's really an incitement to proliferation, it's, and it's directly undermining the, the NPT. But most of all, it's, it's really illustrating the, what role the weasels are playing in this. They are maintaining the status quo and trying to keep nuclear weapons, which is directly contrary to their obligations under the NPT. Jamaica agreed that policies of reliance on nuclear weapons incite proliferation. The premise of nuclear deterrence is that by threatening to annihilate the populations and cities of another country, it is possible to gain security. If that is true for countries that have nuclear weapons or are part of nuclear armed alliances, then isn't the conclusion that every nation should have the right to acquire nuclear weapons so that their people can be protected by the same deterrent means? In this connection, I wish to ask the countries that are part of the nuclear umbrellas who are here defending nuclear deterrence to explain to me why Jamaica should not get nuclear weapons in order to benefit from the same kind of deterrence to prevent some possible or future threat. Jamaica, incidentally, is fully committed to a ban. South Africa argued that the prohibition and elimination of nuclear weapons would greatly enhance security globally. As the only country to have developed and then dismantled and verifiably destroyed its nuclear weapon capability, our experience has illustrated that nuclear weapons do not guarantee security but rather undermine it. For too long the debate on nuclear weapons have been dominated by the perceived security interests of a handful of countries. A common criticism of the ban approach is that it would somehow undermine the non-proliferation treaty. This is Estonia, a NATO member, voicing its concern. The whole process will undermine the existing legal framework for nuclear disarmament and first and foremost we are talking about the NPT. Most nations, however, view the ban treaty as complementary to the NPT, a measure that would enhance it, not undermine it. The NPT, after all, requires its parties to pursue negotiations on effective measures for nuclear disarmament. According to Indonesia, a ban treaty would be one such effective measure. It is contributing directly to the achievement of the object and purpose of the NPT. A prohibition on nuclear weapons would coexist with and support and enhance the NPT. Mexico said that not only would a ban help implement the disarmament provision of the NPT, that is Article 6, it would also strengthen the non-proliferation aspects. 
a prohibition on nuclear weapons, apart from making a major disarmament contribution, will be the ultimate non-proliferation measure. Umbrella nations argued that a ban treaty without nuclear-armed nations on board would be ineffective. But is it effective simply to hope and wait for these nations to take action, when for decades they have failed to do so? Indeed, all are today investing heavily in the build-up and modernisation of their nuclear forces, with plans to keep them for many decades to come. This is the harsh reality that we face. I asked Richard... What progress can be made without the nuclear-armed countries? In a way, it's almost easier without the nuclear-armed countries uh, because it's really thrown the focus more on what it is that the countries without nuclear weapons can do. And, of course, there are a lot more of them. I mean, the vast majority of the, the countries in the world do not have nuclear weapons and do not rely on nuclear weapons. So it's actually quite... Um, natural and logical for them to be discussing you know, what, what they can do about making the world safe from nuclear weapons. I'm very optimistic that this idea has become more widely accepted now and it's going to really change the way the world or the international community as a whole deals with the question of nuclear weapons. And the sort of initiative to examine and discuss the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons has really illustrated very clearly that this is the responsibility of all countries. Nuclear weapons affect all states, um, regardless of who actually owns them, and therefore they're the responsibility of all states to deal with, and now we actually have a large number of the world's uh, countries ready to go ahead and and deal with this problem. Of course, while in the end it's the the countries that have the nuclear weapons who have to take the steps to, to get rid of them, we're in a very good situation now where it's the countries that want to get rid of nuclear weapons who are really committed to that, are ready to go ahead and negotiate a new treaty. Many of the governments supporting a ban have become quite explicit about moving ahead without the involvement of nuclear-armed nations. This is Kenya. Participation, signature or ratification of nuclear-armed powers, while desirable, is not necessary for the negotiations and conclusion of that instrument. Jamaica believes that the treaty, through its normative force, will be a catalyst for elimination. Indeed, it will encourage nuclear weapon states and nuclear umbrella states to stop relying on these types of weapons of mass destruction for their perceived security. Another notable impact of a global prohibition is that it will encourage financial institutions to divest their holdings in nuclear weapon companies. Many delegations hope that the ban will advance disarmament by stigmatising or delegitimising nuclear weapons. This is Sri Lanka. By agreeing on a legally binding instrument, we could avoid the ambiguity surrounding whether nuclear weapons are legal or illegal. We have carefully listened to the arguments made within this group and note that there is a clear desire to move towards negotiating a legally binding instrument delegitimizing nuclear weapons. While the nuclear-armed nations may have boycotted the UN Working Group, their diplomats are paying close attention to the progress of this initiative. Do you think they're worried about its potential? 
I think the, the nuclear armed states saw the potential of this humanitarian consequences initiative right from the start. They saw where it would lead and what it would mean, and that's why they were so concerned about it. They saw the potential, I think, much more clearly than anybody else. They do fear the stigmatisation and delegitimization of, of nuclear weapons. Malaysia argued that a ban treaty would prompt nuclear-armed nations to take seriously their disarmament obligations. If nuclear-armed states are unwilling to even have discussions on nuclear disarmament issues, then a catalyst for action is needed, and a prohibition treaty does that. For most of the world's nations, the necessary course of action is clear. Move ahead now with a treaty prohibiting nuclear weapons. It is time to fill the legal gap. All 54 African nations support this approach. The African group strongly supports the call for banning nuclear weapons, the only WMD not prohibited by an international legal instrument. So too do the 33 nations of Latin America and the Caribbean, as well as most nations throughout Asia-Pacific. The Pacific islands of Palau, Fiji, Nauru, Samoa and Tuvalu submitted a paper to the working group proposing elements for inclusion in the ban. This is Palau. The overwhelming majority of UN member states have indicated their readiness to work together to prohibit nuclear weapons. And so the question that we should ask is not whether a global ban on nuclear weapon is necessary, but rather how it can be negotiated and what provisions it should contain. Several nations specifically proposed that negotiations on the ban should begin in 2017. This is the most exciting development uh, from the open-ended working group. There's now a specific proposal uh, to convene a negotiating conference in 2017 that would negotiate this new legal, legal instrument to prohibit nuclear weapons. That's really the first time there's been such a specific, clear proposal made on how to go forward with this. Brazil was the lead author of this proposal. In its assessment, there is now a critical mass of support to make ban treaty negotiations a success. A significant majority of states has, in one way or another, voiced support for the immediate starts of negotiations on a prohibition of nuclear weapons, with a view to their future total elimination. Brazil is convinced that This is the most viable option for unlocking the current stalemate on nuclear disarmament negotiations. It remains to be seen whether the contents of the Brazilian-led proposal will be fully reflected in the agreed recommendations of the working group. But in the end, it hardly matters. If a group of nations are determined to take forward this initiative, who is to stop them? The pursuit of a ban does not hinge upon the approval of nuclear-armed nations, or their allies. It is simply up to like-minded nations to act. The UN Working Group will convene for its third and final session in August, at which delegates will debate what recommendations to make to the UN General Assembly in October. I asked Richard what he expects will happen then. Presumably a resolution will be put forward to convene the negotiation. I think we can say that we're on track now to start the negotiations next year. 
and this will, is just going to put further pressure on, on the opponents, on the weasels, who now will have to explain to their citizens you know, why they are resisting this idea. So first, they will have to decide whether to vote for or against the resolution that establishes the negotiating conference. Then they'll have to decide whether to participate in the negotiations. And in the end, when, when the treaty is, is negotiated and finished, they will have to decide whether to sign it. And we, the public, must help them decide. This has been The Radioactive Show, hearing an update on the inspiring global movement to ban nuclear weapons. The open-ended working group will finalise its work this month, and we look forward to seeing what happens at the UN General Assembly this October. You can find out more and how to get involved at the ICANN website, all of the w's.icanw.org/au This episode was produced and spoken by Tim Wright in the studios of 3CR on the land of the Kulin Nations and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can get in touch with the Radioactive Show by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr@gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or call up the station on 03 9419 8377. Thanks for listening and for a nuclear-free future. Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb.